Hey, welcome back to the Make Lemonade podcast. This is your host, JR, co-founder of Lemon Squeezy. Just got out of a good interview with Simon Roback. He is the co-founder and CEO of Plain.com, which is like just a crazy domain name. I love that domain. Essentially, they want to be the stripe for customer service. So they're, after, they're going after like engineers and developers to basically bring some of the customer service DNA into a business. I think it's really cool. Simon himself, he's got a really, really cool background when it comes to, he's you know design focused. And he's been part of some pretty big startups, gone from 10 employees to 2,000, really big funded company, all the way to being an entrepreneur in residence at a venture firm. And then, you know, today for the last couple of years, he's been building Plain. So a lot of good insights. And just one last thing before we get into the show, Simon mentioned that right now they are in a wait list, but if you want to jump the line, you can email simon at plain.com. And if you're a listener of the show, he will uh, move you straight to the top. And you can give Plain a try today. Remember, that's Simon at Plain.com. Let's get into it. When I was doing research on you, you've got an interesting story. So I'm trying to figure out kind of where to start here because, first of all, you said I'm a Swiss, but you live in you live in London. So how did you? I mean, how'd you move from from there to London? And are you are you permanent in London now? Yeah, but pretty much. I mean, I think I'm coming up to, I think, half of my life actually spent in London and the other half in Switzerland. So so I grew up in Switzerland and then come from like the capital at Bern, um, a town city of about like 100,000 people. Very quiet, very picturesque. So it's lovely to come back to, but you know, it's, if you want to do something in design or, or startup, it's maybe not, not exactly the place. More going right. on now, but not when I was growing up. And I always kind of wanted to do something in design. I'm at myself taught designer and always kind of just had a massive interest in it and, and wanted to do something in that area and was doing an apprenticeship at the time uh, at the telecommunications company and through that kind of came across this thing called wireframing which was totally foreign to me at the time so I'd, I'd sort of like I'd stare over like the shoulder of like my co-workers they were like moving these boxes around on the screen and I'd ask one of them at one point what are you doing they're like oh I'm wireframing something so I googled that and, and, and this way I kind of like fell into like rabbit hole of there being this whole discipline of design that happens you know the, where you design apps and things like that and it was like I think 2007 2008 probably actually a bit before that and so I realized actually this is whole kind of like industry that is emerging and was just about to be redefined basically by the iPhone being launched. And so it was like, I need to be closer to this. This is what I need to do. And got myself an internship in, in London right at the end of 2008, uh, moved here. And then the financial crisis hit, got laid off and decided, hey, if, if anything, this is a good time to kind of start out myself. So I kind of went freelance and started doing work for different clients here and there. And, and yeah, the rest is kind of history that kind of found my way into, you know, design and building products and tech and startups that way. So as a, as a kid, were you always, you know, kind of this, uh, visual design, has that been something that you've like more of a creative type? Is that how you describe yourself as a kid? Definitely. I think that, and I was always interested in like starting stuff, you know, like, like I think when I was growing up with my Kent, with, with my friends at the time, like I would actually, yeah, I was running a clothing label for a while. So like we, we like, we'd saved up money to, uh, to buy a printer so we could like print on t-shirts and things like that. So we'd sort of like, we'd started that together and we were selling like t-shirts to like our friends in school and, and these sort of things. So it was always kind of like just a, a thing that like I had a thing for, I think. And that was really fun and, and learned a lot that way. Uh, so I was always kind of interested in that of the intersection of design and, and building products and business and, and that sort of stuff. That's awesome. The one thing that I, I feel like I'm similar and the thing where I struggle is I'm kind of the same where I like to start things. 
but then, you know, like as you get into business and like it's sometimes it's hard for me to, to make that switch to go to the operator. Do you find that? Mm. Yeah, for, for sure. I think early on in my career, like, I found it really hard to stay focused on the thing for, you know, in any, any extended period of time. And I think typically that's actually where things get really interesting is like in year two, year three, that's kind of when you start to find out whether you're actually onto something here. And it always struggled to kind of like see through that phase. And sooner or later, I actually realized that actually building a team or building a company in some ways is actually an awful lot like design, right? It's just that you sort of, you move from like, solving pixel problems to like solving people problems in some ways but in both areas actually like you have a set of constraints you have a thing you're trying to do you have a goal you're trying to accomplish there's like tools and methods you can like use it's actually found that like a lot of the things that learned as a designer equip me quite well for then like managing teams and, and things like that so i really kind of like i think learned that when i joined at the time a tiny company called delivery big delivery company and yeah well, I'm, I'm interested to hear about that because i saw that you were like the head of design content and then you've gone from like 10 employees to 2,000. That was probably a pretty wild ride, right? Yeah, that was, that was a lot of fun. I, w- I wouldn't miss it for anything, to be honest. Really kind of like life-defining experience, I think. Because I, I think uh, I've never gone to uni, but I think the only way I can kind of describe it is, is a bit like going to university, university in terms of kind of like the impact it has on your network, your your circle of friends, the airbook you have, mm-hmm. and, and just like the, the experiences that you gain, right? Plus you get paid for it and you work very yeah. hard. <laughs> I had a similar thing. I, I call it the like a street MBA is what I call it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There's an element of that. An amazing, mm-hmm. amazing education. Like I joined when the company was around 10 and we had this like windowless office with no heating, no nothing, kind of the typical startup story. And right. I think so first that we'd gotten off the street, basically. And <laughs> the product was really nice at that point. It was actually having some good traction. And it was really funny. I think I remember a couple of weeks before I was introduced to World Founder, getting a leaflet through like my letterbox saying, that, hey, this is new food delivery company like we now deliver to your area you can now get all these great restaurants like delivered to your door and i went to the website and i looked and i was like hmm i feel like i could help and something just kind of clicked where i realized it was one of these sort of things where again like it was i get help from a design point of view it was a really interesting product to build because there's so much complexity there at the same time it's actually also very very like interesting business right like it's a business where it makes a lot of sense for every every participant in the marketplace it's a great value prop so that kind of that intersection of kind of like design and and business again that came into play for me and i was like this feels like a thing i need to be around and then completely randomly like a couple of weeks later i was introduced to will who sort of decided that yeah take a bet on me so so was that was that ride with delivery room was there a lot of funding involved to get to that point Oh, I think by that point, there was very little funding. I think they maybe just done like a Series A or something. But, but yeah, I mean, there was a lot like subsequently, right? Because we, we scaled, I think, to 12 markets around the world and, and that takes a lot of capital. And, and that was like just seeing sort of the, the horizon of the company expand was really interesting to kind of watch from the inside, right? Because you kind of go from like, you go from this kind of weird scale where you kind of go like, we're delivering to some areas of London and, and that's kind of your level of ambition is basically let's cover all of London and then maybe go outside of London to we're launching in, you know, Singapore, which is, it's a very different kind of like some different way of thinking a different level of ambition. So that was really, that was really wonderful to kind of see that. Ball. So, I, okay. So I'm kind of bouncing around your timeline here and then you get your street MBA and then it looks like you went to this index ventures, right? You're kind of a, it's like an entrepreneur in residence kind of vibe. And how did you get to there? Yes, yeah, so index were, I think, one of the first backers actually at, at Delivery, one of the first investors. So it's, knowing them that way, I'd always really admired like 
what they've done and, and just the company say back. So that way I kind of like, yeah, approached him towards the end of my time at Deliveroo and was like, hey, I absolutely love what we do. And if there's any way to kind of work together, I'd absolutely love to. So ended up spending some time with them to kind of help some of the portfolio companies around figuring out product and design and, and building products and these sort of things. Just because, you know, I realized that during my time at Deliveroo, like I'd seen a lot of like different, and even before that as well, I'd seen a lot of different settings, a lot of different ways of building things. Also like made a lot of mistakes and learned a lot that way. So it was, it was actually really interesting to kind of almost try and, and share some of that with other founders and other companies and, and yeah, try and kind of go like this thing you're about to do, like here's the way to think about that, or here's mistakes that we made when we did that. Here's kind of how you might, you know, solve some of these problems, et cetera. It was really, really interesting. That's awesome. Yeah. Just like a ton of empathy on your side, which is great. So, okay. So you, you do that for a few years and let's get into where you are today, which is your CEO, co-founder of plain.com. Amazing domain, by the way. Yep. So we're going to talk about how you got that domain. <laughs> but, you know, I get this question a lot just with what we do with Lemon Squeezy with this e-commerce stuff, right? Because e-commerce is such a... But like customer service tools, there's a ton out there, right? You know, all the big players, which I don't think is necessarily a bad thing. But why yep. customer service? And and I guess why is plain different? One of the things that... I'd sort of seen at Deliveroo in some ways uh, in other companies since was that the way the organization was interfacing with customer service as we're kind of going through like that growth journey was changing, right? Like it had changed from basically in the early days, it was basically just like very collaborative effort and everyone kind of like sitting around, like sitting around the table in the evening, helping out where they could. And then eventually that became its own organization that, you know, grew from a couple of people to 10 people and then 20 and then 100 and so on. And we went through this journey where Eventually, it was kind of quite a large part of the organization. And we realized that the way we were scaling, we had to kind of get more efficiency and, and, and build better tooling and, and, and make it easier for our colleagues in customer service to kind of do their job and help customers. And we realized just how much like building we had to kind of do to make that possible of building tools ourselves, integrating the system that we had more closely with our own systems. We were starting like really invest product and engineering time into this. And at a time, I hadn't really kind of thought about just like how, how much infrastructure we had to build out, right? To make some of that possible at scale. Because it was just like, well, it's just a problem we have to solve. That's just what we have to do. And with a bit of distance afterwards, I actually realized that there were other companies who had gone through the same journey of having to push water up a hill a lot to like integrate these various tools into our own systems, really make it work as part of their own workflow, build tooling for their own advisors, like custom workflows and things like that. And how hard some of that was. Because I think a lot of these tools that like, existed and still exist, right? Like I think they're oftentimes, they kind of built some this assumption that like customer service is quite separate from like the rest of, of the company. And I think that's changing. Um, yeah. Like so many companies that I speak to now, they actually don't see it as like this thing they kind of like throw some tool at them and they kind of like leave them in the corner and you don't talk to them ever again. They see it as like a real point of, of differentiation, like a real thing to kind of like build your brand around almost mm. and kind of go like, we, we have amazing customer service. Like when you talk to us, yeah. like we'll respond with minutes and we'll really help you. So I think what's happening is it's actually becoming increasingly engineering and, and, and product territory. And if this shift is true, which I deeply believe it is, that means the tools that these organizations use in these product and engineering centric uh, centric organizations have to be built with a different set of assumptions. They have to kind of be built to like work very deeply kind of with your own 
with your own systems, your own tools, and, and have to kind of regard those as like prime constituents and have to like see engineers and product people as prime constituents. And I don't think that's true out of like many tools that like are built out there today. Yeah. They're very good businesses. They're very good products, actually, but they're still with a different set of assumptions. And I think that's kind of what we're building playing. We, we want to yeah. build the company around the intersection of engineering and customer service, because so often the key problem in customer service is having the system of record. It's like having the signal source that you can look at and kind of go, what happened with this customer? When did it happen? How do we help them? How long did it take for us to resolve that problem? On which channel did that happen? What kind of reporting can you run on that, et cetera? But doing that is, is very, very hard if things are not well integrated. So actually, if the key point becomes integration, then I think you can build a really interesting Kravel product by building it API first, aimed at engineers, yeah. aimed at product-centric right. organizations. And that's aimed with this kind of this deep integration as kind of the core point. And that's kind of what we're trying to do. So we're kind of like trying yeah. to build the modern customer service infrastructure uh, for modern companies. No, I think that's fair. I mean, f- full disclosure. So we, as Lemon Squeezy, we've been, you know, wanting to switch to plane. And, and one of yep. the reasons for that is you touched on a point, which is customer service has always been looked at a certain way. And, and I think a lot of people and products and businesses want to say, yeah, we're, you know, we're, our customer service is the best or we're super customer centric. That's got to be woven into a DNA of a company for that to actually be real. And one of the things that I think mm. you're doing well with Plane that, that really has drawn Lemon Squeezy to think about switching is the context you're providing. That timeline of yep. the customer where it's not just a yep. ticket and then it's closed, right? There's like, every time they yep. come back, you kind of see the journey that that customer's taken. So you can have that context when you're t- talking to the customer. And that's like the most, to me, that's the biggest difference that I really like about it. And then obviously, you know, like Gilbert, our CTO loves it from an engineering standpoint, because you're kind of like the stripe for customer service, right? Just like super developer focused. But I'm bringing that up because I wanted to actually call out a few examples of the things that we were, tr- were trying to do with Lemon Squeezy and plane where there were certain flags being triggered off of things that you guys were helping us do to kind mm. of cr- help the the journey of the customer and the, the way we responded. And I don't know if you, you can remember those, or if you want to talk about those, but I thought those were actually really interesting that we had never thought about before. So, so there's a bunch of kind of key assumptions, right? That like we've built playing with. One of those is that everything should be in a single timeline. Every single customer should have a single timeline rather than tickets or individual conversations or anything like that. We're doing that because as designers, we think that kind of maps back to the experience that customers have with you, right? They kind of think of their interaction with you as a company as like one ongoing stream of conversation rather than as individual tickets or anything like that, right? So we're kind of trying to reflect that in how plane works. And that's a really, that's a really core concept for us, the single timeline. And again, to come back to the point earlier, right? If we kind of see like, if we see as the core problem to solve, giving you that single system of record, that single thing you can look at to go like, what happened with this customer? Then the thing we should be really good at is letting you bring your own business context into that yes, timeline. Yes. And letting you kind of say like, here's what happened in our own systems that like the person helping this customer should know about. And the way we're doing that is with a thing that we've just recently released called custom timeline entries, which is basically a very simple, but very powerful JSON schema where your API can basically say, here's the data I want to represent. And we handle the presentation of that and, and like displaying that in the right way. So what's really cool is like this way you can build pretty much anything in the timeline. It could be like a bug report. It could be some feedback, a, a feature request. It could be a contact form submission. It could be like a channel that you want to integrate and then you want to display in a certain way. We can basically push entries in a timeline, whatever way you want, like zero restrictions. And again, based on API first, like you can automate as much or as little of that as you want. It's super kind of easy to work with in that front. So 
that's kind of a good example, I think, of like some of the, the thinking we're trying to kind of do and kind of feel like, what should this be like? Yeah. Another example that really stuck out to me was even just onboarding. There are certain like flows and applications and things people have to go through. And so kind of knowing that they've been through those things. So like if we respond to them, we don't duplicate or sound dumb, right? Like just, oh, whoops, sorry. I forgot that we actually had to do that already. You know what I mean? We already know. So totally. those are just things totally. that yeah. it's such a small, simple thing, but it's something to your point that's like really missed right now. And so I think that that's, that's really neat. So talk to me about, I guess, just, you know, the org, the team, how long you guys been at work doing, building this, how big's the team? So we're still fairly young. I mean, like we've been at this for coming up to two years now. For a long time, it was just bathing myself. I think for the first six months, pretty much just like prototyping and researching and trying to kind of get like this idea that we had, as you say, kind of building like the stripe of customer service getting that into some kind of prototype. And then we made a first hire in March of, of last year. And since then, like I've built like a really wonderful, very, very small team of seven, eight, eight people as of today, uh, including ourselves, uh, all engineering and design. So everyone in the company yeah. is technical and including myself to some degree, although they don't let me, they don't let me near certain things <laughs> for, for, for good reason. But yeah, I think it's, that's a really important thing to us is A, having a small team and yep. B, everyone being technical because it basically means you can get anything that like, you know, we need to change like on the website, for example, like I don't need to kind of go and go, hey, can I do that for me? I can go and do it myself. And I think it kind of, it just means that you speed up the learning and you speed up kind of the feedback. So eight people as of this moment, taking on board our first few customers recently is a kind of learning about all the things that are working, that are not working, <laughs> all the things that are like, we're right about all the things that we're, we're dreadfully wrong about. Kind of just iterating now to, to kind of towards like scaling up. So I always love to hear, you know, as a founder myself, I'd love to hear from other founders kind of how they run their companies and their days. So what, like right now with where you're at, a couple of years yep. in, seven, eight employees, what does your day look like? Mm. It changes month to month, that's eight, which is probably the answer everyone gives. So I, th I think until recently, it was fairly close to the product, like fairly deeply involved. I think mainly kind of out of necess necessity and like there's a lot of foundational things we still have to build all sort of stuff. I think now as of the last few weeks, I think it's going to be true for the next like few months. It's all about go to market, right. all about building marketing, building awareness, building content, and basically talking to as many companies as we can possibly talk to and, and, and trying to get them, you know, to be really excited about playing and what we're building. So that's pretty much like my full day now is like speaking to customers, working on marketing, like trying to sort of like build yeah. that up and build up a good content pipeline, talk to companies, find out what they're missing in plane, what we can build for them. Instead of almost kind of be like the, the outer face and component of planes, the rest of the team yeah, okay. can like okay. be heads yeah, down and building the product. Yeah. yeah, that makes Sorry. sense. I mean, yeah, it's, and it probably evolves. You wear a lot of hats, you know, especially at this point. So totally makes sense. So I'm actually curious in that journey, I guess, of the new marketing and kind of getting yourself out there. You guys right now are, are beta kind of access, early access, get access type stuff from a business model standpoint. SaaS, per seat, you can have self-serve sign up or is it how, how long do you think you'll kind of stay in the, mm. the situation you're in now and how's that kind of been going? Yep. So I think, broadly speaking, I think we'll probably stay waitlisted the thing for a while. I think firstly, because I think when you're building something like very foundational as we're at right now, I think it's really important to make sure that you have like really strong alignment with your customers in terms of like A, being able to help them and having the capacity to help them and making sure that when someone's asking for a feature, you can build it for them right there and so we kind of want to make sure we have the capacity. I think the second thing is I think your customers kind of dictate like where you go with the product. So I think it's like really, really important to make sure there's a good match there and that we can actually help you and that like the things that like you really want are things that like we think right. we can really help with uniquely so. Rather than kind of going like, let's, you know, go really broad and then we do a really bad job because we end up building one thing for you and 
a different thing for right. someone else. And then in both cases, it's kind of like quite shallow rather than really deep and really good. So we sort of want to stay quite disciplined, I think, on that on that side. So we'll stay waitlisted for a while. I think on pricing, very, very high conviction on, on usage-based pricing rather than seat-based. Predominantly because I think, again, sort of the founding principle of the company, we believe and we really want customer service to be like an all-company thing. For me, I think it's so important. So often, customer service gets like the worst equipment, the worst tooling. And, and the least attention inside a company, right? And really, we're really like, I think if we're successful with playing, like we'll have played a part in, in changing some of that. And I think if, if that's what we want to do, we kind of need to align pricing to that as well. Correct. When you say usage, because when I hear that, I think usage-based pricing, so it's going to be based off what they're doing and you want to encourage that, right? So you're trying, you're saying with playing, we need to make this be more of the DNA for these companies. So walk me through that because my, my mind thinks if I start using plane more and the usage goes up because of how it's designed, is that hurting me now because I'm just feeding so much through or how does that, how, how does that play out? So the way we're trying to think about it is we wanted to be no tax whatsoever on you inviting all the people in your company that you want to be involved in customer service. Oh, I see, pay, I see, right? I see. So that's why we don't want to use do seat-based per se. So in that sense, you should be able to invite as many people as you want without seeing any kind of difference to like your monthly bill. The thing we would like to charge is kind of like some measure of activity. So the, the idea basically being that like, as you get more customers, as you make more money and all these sort of things, as you grow as a business and maturity, you can hopefully start like paying a bit more as you get more customers, right? So we kind of, we want to align ourselves to that. So that if you have 10 customers a month or whatever, and quite a low volume, then like you may pay very little, it might even be free. If you have 50 a month, you might pay something. If you have a hundred a month, you might pay, pay a little more and, and so on, right? But the whole idea basically being that like the more activity you have, that should reflect in kind of like what you pay because the more you use the product. That kind of seems yeah. fair from that perspective. Gotcha. So your roadmap map right now is very tied to your customer. So you, do you or do you have like a pretty good idea of what's kind of next for Plane? Yeah, sure, absolutely. I mean, there's a lot of things that we want to build. I think you know, sort of um, I mentioned earlier, like we basically spent spend a good while kind of like prototyping initially, and I think we're only now getting to a stage where where we're kind of like we're either approaching like the functionality we had envisioned in like the V1 of the many prototypes <laughs> we made. So we're kind of just approaching that point now, and we still have to build some of the things we're most excited about. Um, so. I think some of the things we've got coming up we're super bullish on, I think, is stuff like, for example, getting you more real-time context about your customer into play without yeah. you having to sync stuff. So That's cool. cool. The idea basically being like, you shouldn't have to treat us as this kind of separate database of your customers because chances are that if you're an engineer driven an organization, you probably already have that. So that's your own database, right? So we want to be an unintrusive extension of that rather than like, you haven't to maintain records in plain and, and these two things. So the thing we want to be really good at is showing people real-time context about customer. Other things that we want to do a lot more of is like really helping you build more powerful workflows of tight yield with customers inside the plane as well. So, uh, so many companies that like, you know, I'll have this thing where we kind of go like, whenever X, Y, Z happens with a customer, uh, we need to take these and these actions. So mm -hmm. whenever someone flags an issue of a certain kind or they've done a thing in your product and, and you want to take action on that or you want to have maybe managed tasks and, and things like that of like things you need to do to help a customer or like maybe more complex workflows. That's something we're really, really excited about that we want to go much deeper on. And I think there's a lot to kind of like do there in terms of like just making that kind of thing easier for companies. And again, the connecting it very deeply to kind of your own systems in a way that like really uh -huh. works for you. So you can like at scale really kind of automate operations and, and make that a lot easier and help help your customer service team in the way they think we, we think you should be able to. So I think these are some of the things we coming up sort of short term. I think longer term, the things we're really fascinated by is it's almost like 
once you have this core of the product, which is kind of what we're getting to now, we have these kind of two halves, right? We've got the app that, that you've seen and that you've used, and that's powered by the same API that like you can use directly. So anything you see in the app, you can do yourself programmatically. So there's no restrictions whatsoever on, on that front. And I think what's really cool is once you have that foundation, what else can you do that's kind of like about customer service, right? Like there's so many interactions a company has that are sort of support flavored, but today are not connected. And I think that we're very, very excited about. So, you know, you could think of say release notes, like how come they're sort of separate and that like when you go from like release notes or change logs to a uh, support system, like it feels like a different thing. Those things don't talk to each other. Um, forums like FAQs, like all these sort of things, right? They all just feel quite static and they don't really engage you. So we're really like, we don't know exactly what that future looks like yet, but we're really excited about some of the things that you can do with kind of the right core in place. So that actually tees up another a question I have. And there's no right or wrong answer, but fast forward 10 years with Plane. What do, you, what do you see with Plane? Like, do you want it to be something that you scale and grow and you've got a big team and then you sell it and have a big exit or do you want to hold on to it or... Have you not really thought that far ahead? I, like I said, there's no right or wrong answer, but I'm just curious. I, I think in terms of like, you know, access scenarios and things like that, I think I typically see that as a, a side effect of having to build a valuable business, right? I think eventually like you either go public or another company actually sees like a lot of value in you and it makes sense to kind of join forces and these sort of things. It's, it's always kind of hard. Like I don't, I don't try to spend a lot of time thinking about that because they, I think it's premature of kind of given where we are, but also like it's, you know, it's very hard to predict what's going to happen there. It's actually impossible. And so that's not something I spend a lot of time thinking about. But I think the, the thing I spend a lot of time thinking about is like, what is, yeah, what is success for us? And, and I think for me, it's almost like, you know, there's industries I think you can point to where there's a very clear before and after payments. For example, there's a very clear before and after strike. I feel like oftentimes, like, you know, when you would talk to like someone in product engineering about, we'll get into great payments and Stripe wasn't around yet. Like the answer to me was like, oh, we have to. And with what's been happening over the last decade in FinTech, right? Like it's much more like, yeah, cool. Of course. Like that's, that's a thing. And, and we'll, we'll, we're happy to like spend lots of time on this because the tooling has gotten so, so much better. I think the same things recently happened or is happening right now in say project management, right? With Jira, Linear, good example, where like there's a very clear before and after Linear, like they've kind of set off to like this whole kind of, this whole new yeah. way of like building productivity tooling and software that a lot of people kind of like now also kind of adopting. And I think, I guess my goal really is to like do something like that with play, that there's like a right. before and after play. And, and I think for me, that kind of means like taking some fairly big swing, right? I think the better we're making on like, being at the intersection of engineering and customer service, like who knows, like whether in like a few years time that will have turned out to be correct or incorrect is, you know, time will tell. I very deeply believe it's correct, but I think it's one, of, it's one of these sort of things where you have to kind of be prepared to like make that bet and almost like, you know, build a company around that to see whether that's the thing that like affects the before and after. I don't think before and after happens with like incremental, incremental changes. Um, yeah. It has to be something yeah. that's kind of built very differently from the ground up. Yeah, I love that. So you've got a lot of experience doing different things from bootstrapping to funding to even the entrepreneur in residence. That's a rare one that I think is very, that's a big one. But if you were, uh, I don't know, like your younger self or someone that's just kind of starting out, what what's like one word of one, one idea or some, some, some advice you'd give them? I think for me, like the biggest thing I've learned very painfully is like, there's a difference between a good product, a good company and a good business. And I think in order to like succeed, you kind of, you must need like all three. And I think there's so, so many like things out there that are like a great product, but really bad businesses. <laughs> I, I built one of those myself and, and 
realized very quickly, like this was a fun product to build and so many interesting challenges and interesting things, things to think through, et cetera. And paradise for me as a product person, but like in terms of the actual business fundamentals, like, you know, what are the margins like at the end of the day? Can you charge people money for it? <laughs> right. How easy is to acquire customers? Do you have to reacquire right. them at some point in the future? All other stuff. Horrendous. Like absolutely awful. The worst with, <laughs> and, and you can't really have one without the other, you know? And then I think there's the sort of the, the third component, which is like, it also being a good company, you know? And then for me, like that part is actually very, very integral for me because I think sooner or later, if you don't have a good company, like with the right culture, with like wonderful yes. people that like you enjoy working with every single day and people that really take ownership of everything that you're doing in the product and, and you know, proud of what you're building and, and that it's like a, a place people look back on ideally in a few years time and their careers in Africa, like that was a really special and wonderful time. I, I made some really great friends there. I think if you don't have that, then like at sooner or later, like the product or business will reflect that. So I think for me, it's kind of like, it's almost that kind of, that trio of like, yeah, product, company, business. And I think it's very easy, I think, to dismiss any one of those, but you really do need all three. Uh, so right. my, my, my number one advice would be like, spend time early on really making sure that you don't just have a good product idea because I think those are relatively easy. Well, and that's the shiny thing, right? That's the shiny, fun thing. And the other stuff's a little bit more boring, right? Exactly. I mean, customer service in our case incredibly boring space, most people would say, right? And in, in the, like, you say customer service, someone that kind of got a cope, okay? And, and <laughs> actually, once you go deeper, like you just realize just how wonderful and fascinating it is. There's so much interesting product stuff to solve there, just because the yeah. people perceive it as like a boring space. Yeah. So a lot of people don't even look at it. And it's actually also a great business. It's, it's you know, it's probably the biggest and going to be one of the biggest enterprise software markets in the world. Every company that has customers as customer service. So building software in that space makes a ton of sense from a business perspective. And we know that like there's several public listed companies in that space that are doing very serious revenue. So like you can build a viable business in that space. And I think thirdly, like it's, I think very possible to build a good company around it as well. We're certainly trying, but you know, it's like for us, it's very much about building great tooling for customer service. That's the thing that kind of drives us and gets us up every day. And I think that's a, a really wonderful thing to think to like work on as a company, right? Yeah, I think oftentimes absolutely. in tech is, is things where sort of like, you feel a bit like, you know, if you squint and you tilt your head, tilt your head so, you kind of like, you kind of go, yeah, this has a good impact on the world. But they sometimes maybe not like entirely kind of intellectually honest. <laughs> and I think for me, what was really important in, in custom service, right, is like, is actually like, no, like if we help people help someone else and, and do that in a way where like the tooling is nicer and, and even it's just given it's like an all day everyday tool that people will be using if we take a bit of friction out of that and make a few interactions just a bit nicer i think that's a really worthwhile thing like spending like a decade on because it's it's very net positive right like i think there's very few negative side effects of that so i think that's kind of why we're also excited about the company aspect of that yeah I love that too. You said you said the word decade, and that's a lot. That's very similar to how my mind's been lately, and how we think about what we're doing. So that's that's a good one too. Let's talk about let's talk about inspiration. You get inspiration from a lot of places, but I'm curious: Do you get? Is there a particular company or founder that is inspiring you right now? Mm, good question. I love. I mean, well, I think for me, it's actually it's like the companies that have done really interesting things in like the productivity space, like yeah. Uh, Notion comes to mind, linear, like uh, companies like that, because I think they, they would, they would take something that like previously I think would be perceived as like a, a boring category, a boring, like crowded category. 
and they made it exciting. They made it interesting and they brought like great product thinking to it. Which is a lot like what you feel like you're kind of doing. That's certainly what we're trying to do for sure. Absolutely. I wouldn't try to compare myself to like those companies yet, but like that, that's kind of the, the level of impact we want to have. Certainly kind of that's really ambitious. But yeah, the, I think for me, I think that's really powerful because I think, you know, it requires you, I think, again, to like take a bet on, on doing something where like if everyone else goes like this direction, you go that direction. And I think it takes a while to like build that, right? Like, I mean, we've been at this coming up to two years and we're only just moving out of like the foundation space because the table stakes and customer service are so deep, such a mature space. There's so many expectations. I mean, you've seen it with lemon skews, right? There's things that you need in order to like switch to us that we don't have yet. So there's a lot and every company has some version of that, right? So like the reason I admire, I think those companies is because I think it requires you to kind of go like, we're going to go this direction and, and see if this works and they've made it work. And so uh, that's something I really admire. For sure. It's a good one. Do you read books or podcasts? What's your, what's your favorite? I think, I, I think actually, I think a lot of CEO and fan types often say I read so much. I actually read very little. I realize <laughs> I'm trying to fix that. So I realize there's a lot of, lot of learning there. And like, uh, to be honest, like actually the, the thing I listen to most and like switch, switch the mind off is this politics podcast and I'm being a politics geek. Really? Yeah, totally. That's wild. I know. It's, it's a bit random, but maybe because I'm switched. So like diplomacy and all that stuff is kind of like, you know. <laughs> Little name. No, like uh, I'm really, I'm really into that because I think it's a lot about once you really get into it, like you realize just how much of it, I mean, some of it is like depressing. Other bits of it, I think are, you realize just like how tactical some of it is and like how many strategic conversations to it there are and, and like how much depth there is. So I really enjoy learning about sort of systems and just like that sort of stuff at a deeper level. I think that's one thing. I think the, the thing actually inspires me the most though, actually sounds really stupid, but is food. There's nothing that relaxes me like cooking. So I spend a lot of time like on the weekend cooking and I'll like, I'll like write out menus that I'll try and make and I'll spend like the day in the kitchen and, and like all the rest of it. And I think it's the closest for me. It's like, for, like when people do meditation. I think for me, it's that, you know, because I think it's, it's, you're doing a thing and it's, it's just about you doing the thing and, and there's nothing else. And at the end, you kind of get to like this, this thing that's very emotional, right? Like so you, the thing that you've made that you get to enjoy with someone else. Well, I think, I think what we do, right, as, as founders, it's hard to understand sometimes how hard it is to shut off. And it's funny that mm. you brought the cooking thing because I literally tweeted this yesterday. I, I was sitting in my kitchen and I just, I, I, I had a moment where I was like, I just realized how much I love cooking. And I did, I had like music on, like <laughs> glass of wine and I was like cooking and I was just like, man, like this is just, it's almost like forcing me, you know, obviously you, you can do the, like the fitness stuff, right? Like I'll do it in the morning and stuff, but at night when the day is done, right? That's, I love that you said that because not a lot of people say that, like you said, it sounds weird or it sounds maybe dumb, but I think it's, I think cooking is amazing for that. I find it very soothing, right? Because I think it's also like the biggest thing I've actually, uh, I've, over time, I've had to kind of come to come to grips with and, and become comfortable with, right? Is it's actually a big sort of transition for me from like design to managing, yeah. building teams, and especially running a company. Is I think in design, like sometimes what I really enjoy is you have you have the sense of a lot of certainty. You're like in Figma, and and you're building a thing, and the airport's gonna it's yours, and you can right. like do things right. with it, and you kind of go like you know there's like sure. If there's something I don't quite like, I can go and change it. It's very much kind of within your control. So it gives you a sense of control that I think is absent when you run a company because you can affect some things, but other things just happen to you and you have to kind of react right. to that. And um, I think in design, that's like using feedback and that, that sort of stuff. But I think when you're designing, you maybe have less of that. And that's taken me a lot, a lot of adjustment to like get comfortable with that. There's a constant yeah. sense of uncertainty that like you have to get very comfortable with. And I think for me, cooking for myself is like a little bit of certainty. 
you kind of like chopping your vegetables and like, you know, what you have to get to, and, and it's very much down to you. And, and at the end, you still get to share with someone. And I think that's kind of why for me, it's like someone else enjoys the thing that you made. I think that's a really, it's a, it's a miniature version of like, it's a fairly a company, I guess. Someone, someone <laughs> it totally is. Comes out <laughs> that's funny. All right. So uh, last question. So if you started, if you had to start a business today and, and you weren't doing what you're doing now, what would you start? And it could be like, it doesn't have to be SaaS or marketplaces. It can be like non-tech, real estate. I don't know, anything. I think I'd probably try and do something in food, to be honest, yeah. because I think it, it pushes you in some ways, right? And it's kind of, there's a lot of kind of like stuff to learn. And I think it's, it's, sure. it's incredibly, it can be incredibly stressful doing it properly. But I think it's also like, it's a very creative thing, you know, like whether it's like, you make a thing that I don't know, you sell to a supermarket and they sell on that kind of thing. It's a very creative process, just with very kind of different constraints. And I think I really like the idea. But again, it's also, I think it's about making sure at the end of that, like there's someone who kind of goes like, hey, this this was really nice. I really appreciate that. Yeah. You know, yeah. I think whether that's like a product or like a food thing that you've made, I think it's kind of like, <laughs> It's, it gives me the same level of a tour, you know, and, and, and I think, sure. so I think it's sorry, we'll be that for that reason, I think. Well, but, hey, yeah. I really appreciate you coming on. Big fan of what you're doing. You know, love the name. I appreciate it. Thank so you. yeah, we'll be, we'll be really <laughs> rooting for you. Brilliant. Likewise. Thanks so much. Okay. All right.